Hello, Shane Coleman here and welcome to the Top 5 Books podcast where we ask well-known Irish people to drop into us with their top five books and just to talk why it is those books excite them, interest them, I suppose how influential they were in their lives. Our first guest in this series, I'm delighted to say, is a good friend of the show, Barry Devlin of Horselips. Barry, thanks indeed for coming into us. And I do want to confirm that you'd be nothing without me. You know, uh, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, listen, just just before we get to your books, because I'm I'm guessing they're going to be the usual sort of erudite and sophisticated choice that yes. we would expect from a man yes. of your uh, education and, and, and stature. What kind of book is there a, a genre book that you tend to go for, or is it pretty much? Anything? Yeah, no, I do. I I I'm actually hideously poor on modern fiction. I read biography, history, popular. Science. I'm, I'm interested in engines and, and I'm interested in mechanical things. And uh, so I, I tend to read those. And I, it's interesting. Some of the greatest stylists are actually people who write biography. And uh, I mean, somebody like, uh, somebody I'm going to talk about, James Clyke, is one of the best writers in English, but doesn't write novels. And even people like Don DeLillo tend to often, like in a book like Libro, where he's effectively fictionalized or reimagined history, the, mm. the whole Kennedy assassination, and that there's a kind of a, a confluence there of the two types of things. So that's what interests me. If, if okay. I'm going to read fiction, it's likely to be fictionalised history in a way. Okay, all right. Well, listen, let's, uh, let's get to the, the first one on your list. Give us your, your number five then. The House of Pooh Corner, one of the Winnie the Pooh books, yeah. which are children's books. A.A. Mill. A.A. Mill. Mill was an extremely wealthy writer for Punch. And his life was transformed by the arrival of his of his kid, Christopher Robin. And he wrote four books, uh, which are vast bestsellers. Uh, the House of Pooh Corner, Winnie the Pooh, Now We Are Six, and When We Were Very Young, I think. Mm. His son deeply resented the books for the rest of his life. I can he's, imagine. Yeah, spent his he's, whole he's life... He's there trying to chat up a girl in a bar, and uh, you, you're Christopher Robin. Yeah, right you are. Yeah, hush, Wherever hush, I go, there's always poo, there's always poo in me. There's yeah. always poo in me. <laughs> yeah. Or indeed, hush, hush, whisper, there's Christopher Robin is saying his prayers. So, Christopher Robin Milton spent... I'd say, his, he didn't, I'd say he didn't resent the old royalty checks coming through, though, did he? There's a terrific... Jimmy Martin Beachcomber wrote a satirical verse at the time which said, James, James... Morrison Morrison said to his nanny, said he, tell daddy I'd very much rather he didn't write poems about me. <laughs> nanny gasped and she said it loudly, locks a mussy, said she, if daddy dropped it, if daddy stopped it, there wouldn't be honey for tea. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 but part of the reason for the house book corner was the book that I grew up on. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask you. Yeah, and you, you, you kind of have a sort of a whimsical sort of sense of humour as well. Does it appeal to you or did it appeal to you as a kid for that I reason? I think it's defined the kind of sense of humour I have. I mean, someone like the House Book Corner feeds directly into a magazine like Private Eye through Punch. A. M. Milne was a punch writer and it's deeply middle class. I mean, um, Bennett, the guy who's, who's written The Lady in the Van, he hated Winnie the Pooh because it, it was the direct polar opposite of the upbringing that he knew in the north of England. It's very much south of England, very middle class and it's part of a genre of children's books. Kenneth Graham, The Wind in the Willows and mm. Golden Days. It's about, a, in a way, about privileged upbringings. Yeah, no, like, um, uh, how, does that, how did that appeal to uh, a guy from Ardbo in County Tyrone? I mean, very different kind of uh, upbringing, I would imagine. Was it a, just a glimpse of another world? That yes, it was much more than I, I actually did imagine I was growing up in London, in that world. I mean, I read Eagle and... 
I kind of imagined myself as being that kind of a kid. That was the imaginative world I lived in. Our house was full of books. My mother was a teacher. She wasn't from Arbo. She was a blow-in from posh Ross Trevor. So County Down, so all the, all oh, the way across from... Stop! Completely different. And Ross Trevor is quite posh. Yeah, well. no, it was so... so well, the, the haves and the, the have yachts, isn't that what they say about uh, that part of the world? There, yeah. was, a, there was a bit of that, although... And Not so, back then. In fairness, so my yeah. mother had spent a lot of time with flaxen-haired boys who played tennis, and, you know, she was now among squat monosyllabic <laughs> men in, in Arbo and County Tyrone. But, you know, I she... There wasn't too many monosyllabic men in your household now, I'm guessing. <laughs> No, a chance of be a fine pleather, yeah. yeah. So, so I did grow up in that world, and uh, and and so I had absolutely no. What I actually had to learn was the harsh truth that I wasn't living in that world. That the world of my imagination when I grew up was quite different. Mm. Uh, particularly coming south was an entire revelation because it was a very different place from the place that I imagined I lived in. Your number four choice is a lot closer to home, and perhaps a lot closer to the kind of upbringing you had, not in terms of the main character, obviously, but just in terms of the the area who grew up in in The Butcher Boy. Yeah, The Butcher Boy is the exact antipodean opposite of the the expectation that a kid like Christopher Robin would have had. I mean, Pat McCabe brutally, and in an extremely funny way, exposes the kind of, not just way that the Butcher Boys universe closed in on him, but how much of what could have been good was made bad by his circumstances. Not just by his own circumstances, but by the circumstances of his mother and father. So it's a very dark look at a childhood, Mm. but it's extremely gripping. And the thing about McCabe's book is that it is entirely contained within itself. It has no borrowed interest that you walk into that universe and you go, oh, my God, I need to find where my parameters here, because if I don't, I'm lost. And yet McCabe's parameters are perfect. It's a crazy kind of bad, mad universe, Mm, mm. but it's completely logical. Emotionally, it's completely understandable. You know why people do the things they do in there. Would you identify with Patrick McCabe? Because he, he's from Clonus. He's I, roughly the same age as you, I'd say. Um, oh, he's much, much younger. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't, let's put it like this, he isn't in the priority queue in the departure line. So, <laughs> You're far from that, that would be ridiculous. I know Pat very well, and I hope he's by way of being a friend. I used to see Pat all the time because himself and Paddy Goodwin were the two worst-behaved boys at Northern Gigs of the Horselips. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, they, they just were impossibly badly behaved. They were hilarious. They'd always find a prank to be at. So, so I, I knew this mad kid long before I suddenly realised, oh, my God, that's that guy. And, and he's pretty uh, talented, as it turns out. Oh, he's, uh, it's a remar- it is an absolutely remarkable book. And it's why, in a way, I've chosen it over, you know, in many ways we're in a golden age of the novel, in Ireland, if you think of Banville and Enright and Tobin and Barry and, and all yeah, these yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and Healy, there are so many extraordinary writers around at the moment, but no one has done, I think, a singular piece as the Butcher Boy. Do you buy into? And just, I'm interested in your view, I suppose, coming from a you know a nationalist part of Toronto. I mean, do you buy the? Some people have interpreted this book as kind of you know the split identity, the the unbalanced state of Ireland. I think was mm, how one. Mm. But do you buy into that, or is that reading well, too much? Well, you into could. It? I I just read the book at a very literal level and just fell about laughing. Yeah. But yes, you can certainly. It is certainly a metaphor for a, a screwed up 
nation. I mean, McCabe's hero has aspirations as well. He sees a better world. He sees a different world. It's not the middle-class world of Christopher Robin at all. But the potential is there. He just, he never makes it. And he's lost in a way that very few other characters have ever been as lost. As a footnote, I was lucky enough a few years ago to be asked by the BBC as part of, I think, six writers were asked to take characters from one piece of fiction and put them into another piece of fiction. And so I put the butcher boy into the Bennett household in Pride and Prejudice, (laughs) where he killed Mr. Darcy with a bullock and Elizabeth got to marry Wickham. And he was very happy. That sounds great. Yeah, I know. It was the most fun, the most fun I've ever had. I can imagine. imagine. Give us your um, number three on the list. Number three, curiously enough, for someone who claims that he doesn't read novels, read fiction, and uh, number three you is did also... Say, you did say modern novels. And yes. This isn't yes, a modern novel, modern is it? Although it was modern when I was reading it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Decline and Fall, and it's Evil and War, yeah. and it's the first novel, and it's remarkable. It's extremely funny. It's extremely perceptive. He's a master of the English language. And that was a kind of golden age in England, if mm. you think of... Graham Greene, Waugh, C.P. Snow, I mean, so many. And Mm. curiously enough, I think in America as well, if you look at Steinbeck and Harper Lee, J.D. Salinger, Jack Kerouac in that 30-year period. So it is a remarkable period for the novel. I'm curious, because I know you trained as a Columban priest. Interesting, Mm. you you know, you mentioned Graham Greene, you mentioned Mm. uh, Evelyn Waugh. Catholic writers in England, you know, at a time time when Catholicism certainly wouldn't have been fashionable. Absolutely or tolerated true. even in Absolutely the way it is true. today. And at the heart of their worldview, Graham Greene is obsessed with a, a personal relationship with a god, uh, sometimes a very bulgy one, sometimes almost one of denial. But uh, So he, he spent his days in a mano a mano with God. It was a one-on-one. Mm. And in the way, the person I think of when I say it is like, is Bono's relationship with God in his songs. He's in the same area. You know, where, where you're constantly trying to see what kind of God sets up the kind of world you live in. Mm. So, I, what, I think Wall's view was that life without God would be unconscionable. I think I can't yeah, remember yeah, if that was yeah. the exact phrase he yeah, used. But, yeah. I mean, did that, again, coming back as the trainee Columban priest, does that kind of view appeal to you? It was part of the reason why I joined. I mean, and part of the reason why I joined the Columbans was that I knew that if I went to Maynooth, I'd be organising bingo games for women of a certain age by the time I was 35. And, and I knew that I would then slash my wrists. Whereas I had some notion that I might actually be able to lay pipes and put up shanty towns if I went to Lima, Peru. <laughs> and if you knew my talent for DIY, you'd know that they'd be in terrible. It was good that I the, never the, got the there. The people of Peru basically had a near brush to try to see if yes. you got over there. But interesting. I mean, this is almost a by the by. Both was and Graham Greene's Catholicism is a very English Catholicism. It is, very it's, much It's so. effectively, it's still a one-on-one with God. It's unfiltered through, you know, Irish Catholicism is all about the church telling you what you can and can't do. Theirs was almost a Calvinism. It, and maybe also an intellectual Catholicism. Highly, yeah, Actually, yeah, my, my, yeah. my mother, my late mother had that. She was very much a thinking Catholic. Yeah. Whereas my father was just a Catholic by instinct. Yes. Uh, he yes. went to mass because that's what he did. Uh, yes. And where my mother was more, I suppose, cerebral about it. And and about no, it. no, no, absolutely. And there's a str- there is an intellectual, huge intellectual struggle, which appealed to a lot of people. It appealed to Cardinal Newman. It appealed to, you know, to the, the writers of the late 19th century, you know, people like Swinburne, who were obsessed with high Anglicanism. It appealed to Compton Mackenzie's this fantastic novel called Sinister Street, which is all about 
being a Catholic in, in England. I, I suppose I should ask you, why Decline and Fall? Why that one of, uh, of Evelyn Waugh's books? Because Waugh did two types of novel. I mean, they're the things like the Sword of Honour trilogy, which are deeply serious. Brideshead Revisited, I suppose, is the one that most people know. Because of the TV series. Because of the TV series. It's, oddly enough, it's singular. It's outside all of the canons. But the Sword of Honour trilogy was a very serious even though he never lost his sense of humour and sense of satire. Very serious novels about the condition that war brings on. Decline and Fall was simply, as is the butcher boy. Some people never entirely quite get that first flowering. But Waugh got it first time round. And in some ways, some of his novels were reruns. Vile Bodies wasn't nearly as, as good. Scoop and Black Mischief. Scoop is also an extraordinary novel. Yes, it is. It's unbelievable. The concept of a guy who keeps pulling scoops and doesn't know they are scoops. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You rarely cease to surprise me with your knowledge about different... I mean, you were in here not that long ago and you knew all about the aeronautical business, which, which stunned me. Your second choice, though, your number two choice, it did surprise me as well because it's a left field choice, I think it's fair to say. Tell us what your number two book is. This is uh, Genius. Yeah. by James Clyke, mm. which the, is... The Life and Science of Richard... Richard Feynman. Feynman, Feynman is a huge folk hero in America. He was, he was a kid from far Rockaway, so he was like, really, New York. And when he was 22, he was in Los Alamos solving the gaseous, the equations for gaseous production of plutonium or uranium-235. And... It still takes mainframe computers a great deal of time to solve those equations. And he did it with a pen and pencil. And he he's a most remarkable physician. He also had a remarkable... He was extremely good looking. He loved jazz. He played the bongos. He had a towering intellect. So he's very well known in America, partly because when Challenger blew up, he was the guy on television who spotted what had happened. And, and he did this remarkable demonstration where he, he dipped an O-ring, which were the things that kept the booster motors together, into dry ice, took it out and cracked it in front of the cameras. And that was, so his business a, was all done. essentially what happened. Yeah, that was yeah. exactly what happened. And this particular biography of him, is it heavy? Is it de- I mean, you know, when I think of quantum mechanics or, yes. uh, you know, or nuclear yeah. physics or nanotechnology. Yeah. I'm intimidated by it, to be yeah. quite honest. Me too. I'm fascinated by it. And to be honest, I don't know In the math. I don't know the math. And yeah. so or what's remarkable about Glyke, and this is what I said, he's an extraordinary stylist. He is one of the best writers of English I've ever read in my life. Just read the opening two paragraphs of genius. And if you aren't hooked, he is the most elegant writer. So he's part of a, a cadre of writers like, I mean, Bill Bryson, A Short History of Nearly Everything. It's a fantastic book. It's really beautifully written. So that feeds into my love for history, for popular mechanics in a way, and for biography. It, it has all of them together. It ticks all the boxes. Yeah. And one of the, one of the you know, if you'd le- left me seven, I'd have had Churchill's History of the Second World War in there, all 12 volumes, because it's even longer than Ulysses, and Churchill is a magnificent, magnificent writer of writer, interest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you, have you read all 12? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Well, okay. Your number one choice, your all-time favourite. Are you going to down the, the county colours for this one? Is This is uh, the third policeman. Yeah. Flan O'Brien. He's a Tyrone man. He's a Noma man, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I was taught by his brother in, in UCD, Kevin O'Nolan. 
who is a, a terrific lecturer and an absolute gentleman. It was either going to be this or Ulysses. And in an odd way, they are connected. Joyce thought that Flann O'Brien was the best comic writer he'd ever read. And it was also going to be a choice between this and At Swim Two Birds. And in a way, At Swim Two Birds and The Third Policeman are a bit like, do you want to choose Monty Python or do you want to choose Faulty Towers? And in a way, I've chosen Faulty Towers, the less, the more disciplined in a way, although it's wonderfully undisciplined, but the most... And I come back to The Third Policeman all the time because if you want to believe in heaven, if you want to believe in God, and you don't know what God is or what heaven might be, then The Third Policeman, in a way, is... It's the greatest book about wonder that I've ever read. And the universe that that O'Brien conjures up is extraordinary. I'm curious because, I mean, growing up in in our boat, I mean, would you... I I presume the Irish Times wasn't on your uh, kitchen table when you were growing up. I mean, would you have been aware of of Brian O'Neill or when did you become aware of him? We were strictly the truth and the newsmen at the Irish Irish press. press, Yeah, I thought (laughs) thought that. Pravda. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, no, I, I, I wasn't aware of Miles Nagopoulin until, until I came to Dublin and I, and I immediately got the collected, as quick as I could, got the collected columns. But I actually came to At Swim Two Birds first and then Third Police Ever. I mean, I've, I, I read all of them all the time. I, he is a remarkable writer. He's one we should be so proud of. And he had, he was a polymath. He knew everything about everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he really mm-hmm. did. He was interested in steam locomotives. And so he ticks a lot of the things that, that I'm interested in okay. myself. I can see that. I can see that. Okay, I'm just going to remind listeners of Barry Devon's top five books. The House at Pooh Corner, A Mill, is number five. The Butcher Boy by Pat McCabe is number four. Decline and Fall by Evelyn Waugh is number three. Genius, The Life and Science of Richard Feynman by James Gleck is number two. And number one, The Third Policeman by Flann O'Brien. There's a theme here. I mean, if you think of Flann O'Brien, Evelyn Waugh, A.A. Mill, maybe less so Pat McCabe, but there is this kind of satire, whimsical humour, that appeals to you, obviously. Yes. I mean, I, I like I like to be amused by books, but I, I also... Is it the kind of... Is the absurdity of life, is that almost the, yeah, the theme running yeah, through it all? Yeah, I think that's probably what appeals to me in all of these, that all of these guys are winking at you as they read out these really, really well-crafted pains to normality in many ways. And they're completely subverting it as they do it, you know. I mean, Flann O'Brien, the king of all that. Yeah. Pat McCabe, not bad at it either. Oh, someone else. Okay. Barry Devlin, it's been a pleasure to have your company and uh, five fantastic choices. Lots of food for thought there for people who haven't read those books. I'm definitely going to pick up Genius, The Life and Science of Richard Farmer. I'm going to try the first paragraph anyway because you tell me that's that's going to grab me. Barry, thanks for popping into us. So if you enjoy that, there's lots more to come in this podcast feed for you. Uh, If you're listening on uh, iTunes, we'd appreciate if you'd subscribe to the podcast and also it would be great if you could give us a rating if you've indeed enjoyed what you've heard. Also, you can follow us on Twitter we're at top five books nt why not send us your own top five books everyone has at least five great books in them and we'd love to hear from you